0: Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSVN tv in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. Sea turtles are extremely important to our marine ecosystems, but many species are endangered. What does it mean for us and what can be done to help? Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez has the story when we come back. Severe weather can strike any time, and when it does, 7's got you
1: covered. 24-7. We'll see storms developing. We have a
0: long line of rainfall here. We are the Storm Station. 7 News.
1: Healthy oceans need sea turtles. Sea turtles are a keystone species which means they're an important part of their environment and influence other species around them. If a keystone species is removed from a habitat, the natural order can be disrupted, which impacts other wildlife and fauna in different ways. And nearly all species of sea turtles are classified as endangered. And on today's episode of Whether or Not, we have two experts coming in from Florida Atlantic University postdoctoral fellow Dr. Sean Williamson, PhD student Emily Turla who is also the assistant laboratory coordinator to talk to us about this turtle trouble and their research that includes turtle tagging. I wanted to discuss a little bit about why should we care about protecting sea turtles and the marine community. Who wants to tackle the question first?
2: I'll go. So sea turtles are really important for the ecosystems that they live in. They're what's called a keystone species. So their presence is really important for a couple of different reasons. So the things that sea turtles eat are organisms that need their populations controlled or else they'll kind of go crazy and overpopulate. So, for example, leatherback sea turtles eat jellyfish and other jelly-like organisms. So they keep those populations in check. Hawksbill sea turtles eat sponges, which could overpopulate reefs and outcompete other reef organisms. And green sea turtles eat seagrass, so they keep those meadows healthy by keeping them trimmed.
1: So, when we, when we talk about the keystone species, we're talking about a species that, if we take it out of its element, it kind of disrupts the flow of the marine ecosystem, right? Exactly.
2: Yeah, so not only are they consuming things and keeping those populations in check, um, but their nests also provide nutrients for the beach. So not every egg or hatchling makes it out of the nest. And so when those things decompose in the nest, they're kind of feeding the beach and helping the dune vegetation to be healthy and strong. And that helps against erosion. Hmm. And then a sad but important fact that I always mention is that not every hatchling is gonna make it to adulthood. You've probably heard the statistic that it's one in a thousand hatchlings makes it to adulthood. And a lot of that is because they're getting eaten by other organisms. So hatchling sea turtles are, they play a really important role in the food web of things. There's terrestrial animals that eat them, like raccoons, skunks, foxes. And then there's there's marine organisms like fish or birds that eat them as well. So they're
1: just really important parts of the food web. And why are sea turtles endangered?
3: There's a, a lot of different threats that, that turtle populations face around the world, and they can be broadly sort of categorized into a few main threats, though. So um, obviously everyone's you know, heard of climate change these days, and, and that, that is definitely a critical threat for sea turtle populations around the world. Uh, for all organisms on, light, on Earth, really, um, climate change is, is causing um, rapid biodiversity losses around the world, and sea turtles are certainly not immune um, to, to those threats from climate change as well. and uh, Fisheries bycatch is, a, is another major threat to sea turtles uh, around the world. Um, some populations are experiencing unsustainably high levels of, of bycatch. So that's when a turtle is um, accidentally caught. Um, it's not a target for the fishery, but they, they're caught by that fishery practice, whether it be in a net or with a long line and the turtle is subsequently killed from that that practice um so that's you know what's termed fisheries bycatch it's not intended um but some populations are experiencing yeah unsustainably high levels of bycatch and then in certain locations around the world as well there's also loss of of turtle eggs and and sometimes adults as well off the beach so human um human interactions so whether it be poachers collecting the eggs to sell in often in in illegal black markets, in some countries there is sustainable harvest of turtle eggs. Like where I'm from in Australia, the the uh, indigenous populations in the north of Australia have harvested uh, sea turtle eggs for um, sixty thousand years, and you know the total populations there are really healthy. Uh, so it's a sustainable and traditional practice for those indigenous Australians that live in the north of Australia. Um, but elsewhere the practice isn't well regulated and um, often those eggs are collected to be sold in, you know, locations very far away from where those nesting beaches are. Um, for example, in some Latin American countries, for example, Costa Rica, uh, eggs may be sold in, in capital cities like San Jose, but, but they've been collected, you know, from a four-hour drive away. And that's where you start very quickly to be able to, to collect more eggs than what can be sustainably harvested from that population. So, yeah, the fisheries bycatch, egg loss, or, or nest loss through through poaching is an issue. Climate change and climate change has different threats, though, within it. Like it's an umbrella term that we that we use, but the, the actual mechanism that climate change is impacting sea turtles is is kind of through a few different avenues. One is, is the rising temperatures which is a concern for for turtles because um, a lot of reptile species when the eggs are incubating in the beach in the sand the temperature that the egg uh, is incubated at that the embryo develops at determines what sex that turtle will be whether it will be a male or a female yeah so unlike us they don't have genetically determined sex they have temperature dependent sex determination and so with increasing temperatures we're seeing more and more female turtles being produced, uh, which could be a good thing for some populations. The female turtles, obviously the ones that produce the eggs. And if you have more females producing more eggs and you have fewer males, but still enough males to mate with all of the females, then that could actually lead to population increases. But if you get above you know, a certain threshold and all of a sudden you're producing a lot of females, like in the north of Australia at the moment, some studies have, have indicated that there's around 99% females within that population. And there's real concern that there's not enough males in the population now, and it could lead to population crashes in that region. So, but, you know, the temperature of the egg is, in, is important. And obviously, with increasing temperatures and climate change, we're going to see more and more of these populations become feminized. But then also within climate change, we're seeing sea levels rise. And that's a problem for nesting beaches where these turtles lay their eggs. Also, you know, causes changes to ocean circulation with, with changing temperature and, and, and rising sea levels. Ocean circulation systems are changing and turtles have evolved over a very, you know, long period of time with relatively consistent ocean circulation patterns. If they do change, it, it's a, generally a slow, slow change over time. This change that we're experiencing at the moment in the earth is happening at a very rapid pace. And so the concern is whether or not these turtles will, will know where to migrate in the ocean if these you know changes to the ocean circulation are happening at su- such rapid pace. And then an- another key threat is obviously plastic pollution, which is happening you know, at more increasing and more rapid rates. And if you want to talk anything about the plastic threat at all, Emily?
2: so in rehabilitation facilities especially the one that we're associated with gumbo limbo nature centers rehab sea turtle rehab 100 percent of their post hatchlings which means a turtle that has crawled out down the beach swam out in the ocean spent some time out there and got washed back by wind or waves have had plastic inside of them so they've consumed plastic while they're out in the ocean and then many times they get juveniles, sub-adults, and adults that have also consumed plastic. So that's becoming an increasing concern because they can't tell what, what is and isn't plastic. I have a hard time telling what is and isn't plastic if I see it on the beach or in the water. So that's an issue that rehab facilities are facing is, is how turtle populations are being affected by individuals consuming plastic.
1: Now, there are several species of sea turtles. Are they all endangered?
3: They're all, so there's seven species of, of sea turtle and they're all uh, listed in some classification of, of threatened or endangered. So the International Union for Conservation of Nature um, has a classification system, um, which includes endangered, which is, um, so there's critically endangered, which is the most high threat group. Um, and all sea turtle species are either listed as in, endangered or threatened except for one species, which is only found in Australia, where I'm from. That's called the flatback sea turtle, but they're listed as data deficient. So it just means that at the moment, we actually don't have enough information about the population to say whether or not uh, you know, they're, they're not threatened or, or they are threatened.
1: What will happen if they go extinct? Because I so think th- it would be a good way to get people's attention as to what will happen to the marine ecosystem if these species go extinct. They so are like an important Emily, part of the cycle for the environment, the marine life.
3: Yeah, so like Emily said before, the the individual species, the seven different species of sea turtle, um, have slightly different sort of life histories and they have different dietary preferences. They have different migration patterns and different behaviors so it's kind of context dependent if if you know we're talking about all seven of the sea turtle species going extinct obviously then the the impacts would be much greater Um, say for example the leatherback sea turtle which emily mentioned before you know persist on jellyfish and, and jelly like organisms those jellyfish and 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 jelly like organisms they eat a lot of small fish um so if jellyfish populations were were to, to exponentially grow, which actually seems to be happening with climate change anyway, and we lose all of the, the jelly-eating marine megafauna like the leatherback sea turtles and the molar molar sunfish, we're going to have you know, a harder problem controlling those jelly populations. And then that therefore may impact fish stocks, you know, which a lot of the, the human population on the planet depends upon for, for protein sources and, and you know, for fishing activities. So you know, those, that's just one species, so the ramifications there.
2: I just wanna add that sea turtles are referred to as a sentinel species sometimes. So the health of sea turtle populations is reflective of the health of the ecosystems and of the earth as a whole really, because they're so connected to marine and terrestrial environments. So if sea turtles go extinct, that's a really bad sign for the rest of the world, um, because they're so dependent on these ecosystems, and these ecosystems are so dependent on them that if they're struggling or disappear, it's not good for
1: anybody else. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And as now- I
3: mentioned before, like the coral, the coral situation is um, with climate change. Corals are already highly threatened, and and coral reefs are becoming. You know predicted to to be greatly reduced in in the area and, and a lot of coral species are going to go extinct with climate change and an added stressor as well without having the the hawksbill turtle for example which um as emily mentioned eats sponges on coral reefs sponges eat corals so without the hawksbills to control the sponge population you have an added stress on the reef then as well on top of the, you know, the, the, the stresses it's already experiencing through ocean acidification and, and climate change.
1: Yeah. And I and I believe there's a particular coral, the pillow coral along the coral reef tract of Florida, that's pretty much extinct as well because of bleaching events or stony coral tissue loss disease as well, that I've been reading up on.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's concerning the the, the rate of bleaching events that it is really picking up in the last decade.
1: Again, climate change, also a factor. So it has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Now, turtle trackers. Let's talk about your research and what answers you're looking for within your research.
3: Yeah, for the tracking work. So this is all being done in collaboration with Upwell Turtles, who are a, a nonprofit NGO based in California, headquartered in, in Monterey, California. And Upwell have been collaborating with us here at the FAU Marine Lab for the last few years and have been tracking what we call lost years turtles. So turtles have an interesting life history where obviously we know the adults come to the nesting beaches to lay their eggs and that's pretty reliable. We can be there at certain times of the year and we know we're going to encounter them and see them. And so, you know, the mum will come up onto the beach and she'll dig a little hole in, in, in the beach and lay her eggs into the nest. And then those hatchlings will eventually emerge from the nest and swim out into the into the ocean. But we actually don't see them after that point when they those hatchlings reach the ocean for, for many years. So it depends on the species, but, but some of them, you know, they don't start turning up in the ocean reliably until they're about a dinner plate size. And the, the period between hatching and when they turn up in different areas of the ocean at that dinner plate size is is termed the lost years in in sea turtle biology. And we haven't known for a long time where those lost years turtles are going, uh, where they end up in the ocean. And so Upwell turtles have developed with a satellite tag company in based in New Zealand called Lowtech. They've developed a novel, really small satellite tag that's capable of going into the marine environment and tracking these, these really tiny turtles when, when they're swimming in the ocean. So it's really uh, interesting and novel information that we're getting from these studies. And so far, Upwell and FAU Marine Lab we have been involved in tracking now leatherback sea turtles off the coast of Florida. So when the leatherbacks hatch, we take a couple of, of hatchlings from, from a few select nests along the coast here in South Florida and we take them to the Gumbolimbo Environmental Complex where our FAU marine lab is, is stationed. And we raise them for about two to three months of age until they're large enough for the satellite tag to be placed on them. And then they get released in the Gulf Stream off the coast of Florida here. And we've been able to track those leatherbacks swimming in the Gulf Stream. Um, This is the first time any leatherbacks under sort of 15 years or 12 years of age have been been tracked. So it's really interesting and, and novel information. And it will help us to model where these little turtles are ending up in the ocean so we can, you know, work with conservationists to identify regions of the ocean that we might firstly just want to check and see if if we can find them there and they are reliably found there and secondly if we need to think about what human activities are occurring in this region of the ocean and if we need to potentially consider modifying those behaviors if if fisheries practices might be really negatively impacting those turtles then you know it'd be good to look at what region of the ocean that those activities are occurring in and if overlaps with those small turtles as well. We've also been working on some other lost years projects. So the, you know, I think the reason why we connected with your network initially was about our work in the Cayman islands recently, that was with green sea turtles. Uh, And so we had a range of different age classes that we tracked with these, with these tiny satellite tags, the same tags that we have used on the leatherback turtles. So we had, two-year-old, three-year-old and four-year-old green sea turtles that were released from the Cayman Islands Turtle Centre. And we were able to, to look at their tracks as they dispersed all throughout the Caribbean. Uh, so it was really, really cool to see the different areas that they were going to. We kind of were all, all thinking they might follow this one major current but in the end, they ended up kind of heading out in all directions. Um, so it was, it's interesting to see that in, you know, and when you're collecting the data and you're not sure what's going to happen and, and you're watching these total tracks in, in real time, it's it's quite exciting stuff.
1: It certainly is. It'd be nice to find out down the road the reason why they go about in different directions. That yeah. Would be, that would be interesting. And depths as well, I'm assuming.
3: Yeah. Different age turtles seem to have different dive, dive profiles as well. So that stuff is something we're interested to analyze and, and dig deeper into as well.
1: And you were talking about the other research that you're doing as well? Yeah,
2: so our supervisor, Dr. Jeanette Weineken, she's been doing a long-term study for about 20 years now and she's examining the sex ratios of sea turtles being produced on the beach. So how many males and how many female sea turtle hatchlings are being produced because as Sean mentioned, they have temperature dependent sex determination, which means the temperature of the sand in the nest that their eggs are in are what's determining whether they're a male or a female. So the warmer temperatures create females, cooler temperatures create males, We say hot chicks, cool dudes to help us remember. (laughs) Um, And so her research has been just trying to see what's going on out there, how many males and females are being produced. And since it's been a long-term study, we've been able to see some changes over time. And as she continues the study in the future, we'll be able to see if those trends continue or if things start changing again. So we find mostly females at this point because the beach temperatures are so warm when they're incubating in their egg. And that's, that's a big project that we have going on that's been going on for a while at the Marine Lab. And then additionally, we've done some projects looking at how incubation temperature affects their development. So the hotter it is, the more likely they are to have abnormalities that can affect their survival. And so we've had some studies doing that. We've had studies looking at how temperature just affects them when they're in the egg survival-wise because not every egg hatches. And so we find that hotter temperatures lead to more mortality or death of embryos in the egg. So lots of temperature-oriented research happening at the FAU Marine Lab just to see what's going on as it gets warmer out on the beaches.
1: Are you aware of any ongoing conservation efforts?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's there's global efforts underway constantly for sea turtle conservation. Obviously, they're very charismatic species. You know, there's they're in popular media all the time. Finding Nemo, the, the sea turtle characters yeah. and Finding Nemo are everyone's favorites always. And so there's lots of, luckily there is lots of conservation dollars for sea turtle conservation work. We can always do with more efforts in, particularly in certain areas. Here locally in Florida, there's, there's a lot of amazing efforts that are done both by state government, federal government, volunteer organizations, non-for-profit organizations like the Loggerhead Marine Life Center to the north of us, Gumbalimbo Nature Center, where we are here in Boca Raton. And there's a you know, range of universities like ourselves that are also doing research that has direct conservation applications. But a lot of the work here in Florida involves marking you know, nests on the beach to make sure that people don't disturb the nests, working with local communities to make sure that they use what's deemed turtle safe lights. One of the threats we didn't really talk about before to see turtles is light pollution. And on nesting beaches, if there's too much artificial light at night, then turtles can become disorientated because they're attracted to different wavelengths of light and hatchlings as they emerge from the nest, they might get confused and accidentally instead of going to the ocean, they'll go to the development behind the beach. And that obviously means that they get lost. They don't make it to the water. They'll get dehydrated and eventually they die, which is very unfortunate. But some of the conservation efforts here in Florida are working really hard to work with these local communities to implement what's termed sort of turtle safe lighting. So you can use selective wavelengths of light and it won't impact the, the sea turtles. So, you know, those efforts are underway on the nesting beaches. Then there's also work at sea here within Florida. I mean, up in West Palm Beach, near where, where we are, there's the sort of recent turtle slow speed zone that they're trying to to promote for boat drivers to make sure that when the boat users are driving along the coast especially during the nesting season when there's lots of turtles mating or female turtles waiting to lay their eggs that the boaters are slowing down to speeds where they're less likely to to hit these turtles because that's another threat that sea turtles face at sea is, is boat strike which you know there's a high proportion especially in the loggerhead population here in Florida that come up with boat strikes when they come up on the beach to nest. And it's, you know, something that we can prevent by making sure that we adhere to certain speeds when we're using our boats.
1: And when is nesting season? And I think it would be a good uh, time to discuss, like, what should people know if they see a sea turtle at our local beaches?
2: So the sea turtle nesting season here in South Florida is March 1st through October 31st. And if people from the public encounter a nesting sea turtle, they should give her her space because you don't want to frighten her or cause her to turn around and abandon her nest for any reason. If you're out on the beach at night, you should always only use a red light flashlight. That way the wavelengths aren't bothering the turtles as much because you will spook them. And you might disorient hatchlings, like Sean mentioned, if you have the wrong kind of light. If you see hatchlings emerging from their nest, give them their space. Let them crawl to the ocean, revel in their beauty, but give them their space. It's an amazing experience if you get to witness those things, but you have to let nature do its thing. If you witness a turtle in distress, whether it's a hatchling or an adult in the water, on the beach, don't handle it yourself. Call the state, the FWC phone uh, has a phone number that you can call and they'll send an expert out there to deal with the and assess the situation, deal with it, see what needs to be done, but don't try to do anything yourself just in case you don't wanna cause any more harm just by trying to help.
1: I, I think that's important to know and I think it's a good reminder for everyone when they're out and about on the beach, not to do anything. <laughs>
2: So most beaches around here mark a majority of their nests on the beach, and uh-huh. so if you're walking on the beach and you see a marked nest, just give it its space. It's marked for a reason to keep things and people away from it. But it's good to know that that's what that's for. That's what the orange or yellow or green tape that they use is for: is keep your pets, keep your children, keep their toys, everything, garbage away from those sites specifically, because that's where a nest is is incubating.
3: Another critical cool- Thing that we can do as as consumers as well is is make appropriate choices for sea turtle conservation too. Especially, I, I love seafood still, and I, I eat all foods. Um, I should you know try. I do try to eat vegetarian mostly, but when I do select a seafood item, I always make sure that it's from a sustainable source. And here in the U.S., um, we've you know been implementing. Um, what's called turtle excluder devices in, in the shrimp fisheries in the Gulf of Mexico for some time. And that's had huge conservation impacts uh, for the, the Kemp's Ridley sea turtle, which exists within the Gulf of Mexico and other sea turtle species in the Gulf of Mexico as well. So those sorts of fisheries practices, depending on, on where the fish is caught in the world or the seafood item is, is caught in the world, depending what practices they use could really impact the the marine megafauna like the sea turtles the dolphins and sharks etc that exist in that area and so it's important to ask some questions at your restaurant when you're when you're selecting your fish where it's where is it from you know is it is it caught locally or is it internationally there's the seafood app that you can get on your phone which is really awesome there's one version in australia by the australian marine conservation society and there's another version here in in the u.s um, which would be really useful for people based here in the u.s and that was initially developed by the monterey bay aquarium in, in california and so using those sorts of resources to make informed decisions about what you buy is is really important and You know, related to the plastic threat as well, if we can all do our bit to try and consume less plastic items that that aren't recyclable, you know, try to avoid single use plastic where possible, then that will hopefully lead to to less of those plastic items ending up in the ocean
1: hundred percent. And I think it would be kind of cool to end things with some fun facts about sea turtles.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, m-
1: maybe I could test both of you. Let's give it a shot. So true or false? Sea turtles have been on earth for over a million years. True. Yes.
2: they've been around for over a hundred million years
3: yeah it's impressive they're
2: really impressive they're like
1: dinosaurs
3: they've been on the earth since the dinosaurs were here and and they survived past when the dinosaurs left so you know they're doing pretty well
1: now true or false turtles don't have any teeth true Yes. green sea turtles have like
2: serrated beaks that help them tear at the grass but otherwise they just have beaks Mm. hard
1: beaks and I mean, we, we talked about. Li- I mean,
3: you could get technical that <laughs> some turtle species sometimes have an egg tooth when they're in the egg okay. that, that they use to hatch out of the egg, but that's like vestigial and not, not a real tooth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now we talked a little bit about this. So, but sea turtles follow the tides to know which direction to go. I know we talked a little bit about this true or false?
3: Follow the tides. Mm, I would say it depends on the population.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, it's a, for me, again, I, I can't answer that very easily because, for example, in Costa Rica, where I, I did some of my PhD work, the leatherback population there only nest at high tide, whereas here the leatherbacks don't seem to care so much what the tide is, um, which is interesting. I think it's because of the local difference in the beach geomorphology. But I'm going to say true, Okay. I
1: <laughs> well, I, I I don't have an answer for this one, but I'm gonna take your answer for it. You guys are the experts. <laughs>
3: yeah, fair enough.
1: Now, turtles grow a new shell when they mature. True or false?
3: <laughs> I'm gonna say false on that one because, I, like, if people, are, I wouldn't want people to imagine, you know, like a hermit crab that it's shed that it's, it. that it's getting rid of one shell and finding another shell, um, or yeah, like some other. Um, insects or crustaceans that may grow an entirely new shell. Um, their shell is growing constantly, and they do—they do shed their keratin plates. So, so you know, like our fingernails are made of keratin. The shell of a, a sea turtle, the hard-shelled species, at least, because the leatherback has a has a soft shell, as the leathery skin, hence the leatherback name. But those keratin shells on the other six species of sea turtle. They shed their scales or their scoots, as we call them, and they will regrow those scoots underneath.
2: Yeah, so they lose them in like layers instead of the whole thing just popping off, <laughs> getting a new one.
1: Yeah. Now, sea turtles can swim up to 22 miles per hour? True or false?
3: You've caught me off guard here because uh, I, I'm still adapting to the miles per hour situation <laughs> um, being being from the rest of the world and where we deal with kilometers but that's i would say yes that seems pretty green
2: turtles are quick
3: yeah i mean especially if they're in a current that's already going you know the gulf stream can go pretty fast sometimes like i feel like up to eight miles per hour and then they would swim a bit on top of that we'll say we'll say yes yeah
2: i feel like definitely a juvenile green turtle because those things are high energy i feel like they can get up
1: to 22 (laughs) miles per hour and turtles can stay underwater for up to two hours true or false
3: true yeah that's that's an interesting fact one of my favorite facts is is that leatherback sea turtles uh which emily and i are quite partial to because we work with those a lot here in florida they're they're definitely one of my favorite species they also grow the largest out of any sea turtle they weigh more than than human some of them getting close you know 300, 500 kilos, which in pounds would be... I think
2: we say they get to like 700,000 pounds. Um, yeah, wow. 1,000 pounds, so yeah, huge. They're huge.
3: And wow. these guys can dive to over 1,000 metres, so that's 3,000 feet. Sorry, still adjusting to my <laughs> imperial <laughs> units. So, yeah, the, the, the dives that they do are... Insane to go to a thousand meters depth. The pressure they must be experiencing, and they do it, you know, on all on one breath of air, and they just swimming around down there like Pac-Man eating jellyfish. <laughs> they can eat over sixty de- jellyfish on on one individual dive. Yeah, if you want an entertaining video to watch sometime, you can always Google on YouTube leatherback eating jellyfish, and it's just like watching Pac-Man swim around. <laughs> Very, very meditative.
1: <laughs> well, this has been very informative, but also fun too. So I appreciate it. No problem. This is great.
3: Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thanks.
1: <laughs> I was reading a, on a whole bunch of like fun facts. I'm like, and I think most people don't know that there's all sorts of information about sea turtles, all different kinds of sea turtles. They're incredible things that
2: we don't. Yeah. There's
1: so much to learn about them. It's crazy.
3: Yeah, this is, this is probably something I shouldn't share as an expert, but before I started my PhD, I didn't even know that there was such thing as a leatherback sea turtle. I, I knew that there was multiple species of sea turtle and, but I kind of, even though I'd been through an undergraduate degree in biology, my specialty had been sort of on birds and, and native marsupials in Australia. And I didn't know anything about a leatherback until I started my PhD program. And they constantly have me in awe whenever I, I see a leatherback, especially an adult leatherback nesting, you know, which, we, which we're lucky enough to have here in South Florida. So yeah, they're a really impressive animal.
1: Yeah, it, it's been pretty neat to follow how they've changed through time and how long they've been here on mm. this earth, way before we have been here.
3: Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> see you later.
1: For the opportunity. Thank you, bye. Bye.
0: Thanks, Vivian.
1: The best app
0: from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app.
1: Get the latest forecast models.
0: My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone.
1: It's yours free from the Storm Station, Seven News.
0: Next week on Weather or Not, it's the 30th anniversary of Hurricane Andrew impacting South Florida. We'll have a special issue with vintage recordings and interviews on our next podcast, which drops August 23rd. If you have a comment or suggestion, please feel free to email us at WXPodcast at WSVN.com. I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell. This podcast is produced by the Seven Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane with technical support by Steven Sejas. Thank you for listening to Weather or Not.